This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're watching The Witcher, episodes 5 to 8. Welcome back, fellow witches, to TV Podcast Industries, where we are doing our part two coverage of The Witcher, and we will be looking at episodes five to eight. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out this fellow group of bards, I am Chris. Can we be anything other than bards? There's loads of different things in this in this universe. Can we be witchers? Can we be mages, maybe? To be fair, we use our voices a lot. We do. We are bards. We may not like it, but we are bards. Yes, oh valley of plenty. (laughs) What is the podcaster equivalent in this universe? I I would assume storytellers. A bard bard or a storyteller. Yes, a a wise woman. Shanaki would be the Irish word for it. Yes, a wise woman. I'm sticking with bard. It sounds better. (laughs) Okay, Bard. But welcome, fellow witches. Yes, our spoiler-filled review of episodes 5 to 8, our part 2, if you will, Mm -hmm. of the Witcher series. And we are TV Podcast Industries. If you haven't already, please pop over to our website and you can subscribe on any Nilfgaardian or Sintran-supporting podcast player. And, of course, support us by rating us, sharing the podcast, leaving a review on your podcast catcher of choice, because sharing the podcast is absolutely sharing the love. And, of course, if you want to, you can also head on over to our Patreon, and you can support us there as well. And any form of support for TV Podcast Industries is spot on. So yes, you can get us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TV Podcast Industries. And of course, any support, whatever form it takes, is absolutely spot on, fellow witches. And and I presume soon to be fellow Trekkies or Trekkers. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't already, you can check out our preview podcast for the upcoming Star Trek Picard, which releases on the 23rd of January in the US and the day after on Amazon Prime for all other territories. So for Europe, um, then yes, Friday the 24th, it will be beaming down, dare I say it, Mm -hmm. into Amazon Prime for your eyes to engulf its glorious science fiction Mm -hmm. i'm so excited for you guys to see it i was lucky enough to get to see it at the premiere in london and it was really good i think uh, you guys are going to enjoy it i i'm looking forward to it um i'm kind of going in blind on this one i want and i think i'm going to stay that way Mm. like geordie Uh, laforge indeed almost yes (laughs) oh my god i remember when they had TNG back in the day, and it was on Sky One, mm-hmm. which was basically a, a UK channel that was shown in Ireland, and it was on every day after school. But there was one episode that stuck with me, where it was did did LaForge get his eyes back at one point? In the movies, he got them back. Yes, um, yeah. But wasn't there an episode where like he got his eyes back and they showed him color, and then 
he saw things that no one else could see and turned out to be an alien. And mm-hmm. Yes, that definitely okay. happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But he did complain for the seven seasons of the show because he basically wore a headband painted gold <laughs> as the thing did. in front of his eyes for, this, for the seven seasons. And he complained that it was very difficult for him to see. So they did correct that eventually in the film. <laughs> yes, or do any form of action, of course. So remember, fellow witches, if you are also into your sci-fi as much as your fantasy, head on over to TV Podcast Industries where you can check out our preview and premiere podcasts about all things to do with star trek picard Mm -hmm. and if you are supporting us on patreon you'll obviously know this but if you're not um we do put this episode out in advance over on patreon first for anybody who supports us on any level over on patreon we did that last week with the first part and it seems to have gone down really well everybody seems to have enjoyed our first discussion on the on the witcher we went a little bit long on that one we didn't went almost two and a half hours but that's because it's a brand new world with new characters to talk about i think we're gonna go a little bit shorter on the second half of the series maybe or will we, or will we <laughs> indeed <laughs> well i think never it, say never Derek. <laughs> that's true that's we're true. already about 17 minutes in and we haven't even started yet <laughs> but just as a quick recap, we are going to discuss episodes 5 to 8 of The Witcher up to the finale uh, with our big moment of each of the episodes as we go through it. So, to kick off on this podcast of plenty, let us get into episode 5, Bottled Appetites. Yeah, this episode was directed by Charlotte Brandstrom, uh, who also directed episode 6 and previously directed episodes of Arrow and Man in the High Castle, along with loads of other stuff. Ooh. So, uh, a, a great working director, definitely. Yes, Man in the High Castle. Uh, I still need to finish that, actually, but mm. uh, really, really enjoyed it. And Arrow, well, that's finished now. It is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that, that's all I can say on that one. Oliver McQueen, or as I keep calling him, Steve McQueen, um, was kind of almost like a semi-god or something, a, a deity in uh, the crossover. Look at you spoiling stuff. Well, that's true, yes. Spoilers, fellow <laughs> witches, for all things CW. I actually love, even though you call him uh, Steve McQueen, I still love that you'll also Irish up Oliver and call him Oliver McQueen as well. Um, it's just Oliver Queen, John. Um, but... Regardless of Arrow, this episode was written by Snea Kurs. She was a story editor on Constantine and Daredevil before writing an episode of Daredevil Season 2 and two episodes of The Umbrella Academy. Yep. Is- I'm, I I like her work. I know her work. It's good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and that's obviously where Lauren Schmidt, the showrunner, uh, worked as well. So obviously they've, they've worked together in the past too, which is pretty good. John, do you want to give a summary of the episode? Sure. Heedless of warnings, Yennefer looks for a cure to restore what she lost. Geralt inadvertently puts Jaska in peril. The search for Ciri intensifies. I've got this written down as the Doppler Gin episode. Um, two completely different parts of the story that <laughs> are going on. Uh, I'm going to kick off my first big moment for the episode. Um, which is the opener with the Doppler, this doppelganger, I suppose, is the, the term for him. He's able what to take, an opening it was. Yes, able to take the shape of anybody that he wants to and uh, very proudly uh, opens up the episode and takes off his clothes to admire his new his new form. Um, this Doppler is a really interesting character. He seems very evil. I like when uh, Cahir comes and meets him for the first time and kind of says to him, um, 
You're not like all the rest of the Dopplers. You do this for fun. You do this for the joy of killing people and taking their skins, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, you definitely see a few uh, trophies. And um, mm. dare I say, if, if he was in the WWF series, he would be the narcissist. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange opening. In that, like, that's a lot of... Buttocks? Uh, well, yeah, no, I was more going... <laughs> they channeled... Um, Put the lotion in the basket. I'm I'm so sexy. That kind of that scene from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> really? <laughs> but like it's just kind of just there, just kind of like da da da. Look at me in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm so sexy. Um, I don't know. It was just quite a strange thing. Um, Doppler's in the source material and the games. They're just more of annoyance. Yes, they can mm-hmm. change into anyone, but they're usually not very aggressive. So like yeah, like we're told straight away that you're not like the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just a strange. It, yeah, it it was a great. No, sorry, that came across as if I almost disliked it. No, this was a great opening. Mm-hmm. Such a strange opening. Such a fantastic way to be introduced to the Doppler. Well, I feel yeah. like a shapeshifter in a game is quite difficult to get across because in a game you're usually just hacking with a, a sword to kill things you know a lot of the time uh, otherwise it's really long cutscenes. so using it to dramatic effect in the show i think makes a lot of sense i presume in the in this uh original novels original uh stories there's probably some dopplers in there that uh, make for the dramatic tension of you don't know if the person opposite you is the doppler or not and i think later on in the series they do that really well where you can kind of shift in and out between anybody in a room could be the Doppler. I think that's kind of a cool uh, touch to the character. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think as well, you know, he's obviously, um, he may be a slightly off-center Doppler. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that when he's asked by Kaha to take on M- Mousak's form, and he's just like, I've only just gotten this perfect specimen. Mm-hmm. Like he, And, you know, th- the fact that you've seen him looking in the mirror, you know, he's kind of wanted to have, you know, sexy, fit, um, sort of tempter, I suppose, and and whatever he's going to do with that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you see the trophies around his room, like an ear, and he, he enjoys kind of that hunt uh, where he kind of chases after Mouse Sack, even though it seemed a little short to me. You know, I always think um, that it should have been a little longer. It was kind of like, now run, and then immediately went after him. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, there's not too much sport in, in that chase, is there, mm-hmm. really? But It was very um, cruel, though. Yeah. It was one of the things I did notice about that scene. This was my point about Mesek and the Doppler when he takes over the form. It's very cruel. It's done as run, and he gets caught almost instantly, you know, and there's no reason for it. He could have literally just done it as he does a number of other times in the show. He could have taken the form of him without hopping on top of him and then stabbing him in the throat, you know? Um, he does this because he enjoys the yeah. cruelty of it. Uh, uh, to Chris's point, it is, you know, Buffalo Bill almost. It's mm. that enjoyment of the process. Yeah. But I was wondering, does he even need to kill anyone? Because he does take the form of Kahir mm-hmm. um, later on, yeah. and he's not killed him. So it would just seem that he is a psychotic um, exactly. Doppler. Yeah, 100%. They don't need to. They just need to look at you. Yeah. And they can take you for him. I'm, like, I'm wondering, there's also a great touch in it that he takes all of the memories and all of the things that they've done in the past. Is that maybe something he gets a stronger version of all of his past or history? Um, I don't know. It seems to fall through a couple of other times with the other uh, people that he takes the form of. The knowledge that he has of them seems to 
not be almost not be as good as the knowledge he has of of uh, mouse sacks so maybe the act of the aggression gives him even more information or the death of him gives him all the information over. I I can't tell. It's not really clear from the show whether that's in there, but it just feels like he's being cruel and he seems to enjoy it basically. Uh, but I really like that as kind of the opening scene in this and introducing this new character. Um, also great props to the uh, stage design or the um, set design for the mirrored uh, wall that he had in front of him, the perfectly placed mirrors, so uh, his modesty was uh, was contained. <laughs> you couldn't see anything other than the backside. Uh, that's it. So, well done, guys. Well done. Well, absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of backsides in this episode. Yes, there were. In fairness, um, <laughs> and a lot of everything else as well. Mm-hmm. That was my big moment from the episode. But one of the other moments I did want to talk about was I, I was so intrigued by Yennefer's story at the beginning of this episode, where she effectively is kind of like a traveling mage going around selling her wares. And as the episode progresses, suddenly she's has ownership of a castle. I think that's a really interesting change for you. And I love that she seems a little bit down on her luck, is about to get arrested by the mayor of this town. And then the next time you see her, she's controlling everybody in the village everybody's under her spell and she's got a castle like that's such a cool thing for this character you know she's really using all of her powers to ascend i suppose and get whatever she wants to i love that that's exactly what the mayor says this woman just gets whatever she wants nobody can refuse her yeah definitely um and certainly uh it it made for some really funny uh moments as well Mm -hmm. i really like this i just just even i think the the mayor in the kitchen in the nud, um, just kind of spouting kind of nonsense, you know, cause she's, she's in his head or, mm-hmm. and just that interaction with Geralt who, where he's like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, apples, I think was really good. She wants yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, really nice. Um, but I suppose, um, my, my point really for this episode was the gin and, and, uh, Jaskia, um, of course, Jin is the best spirit in the world, and um, I did love the fact that this was a edgy Jin as well, and that this, you know, it it doesn't like being contained. It doesn't like to have these wishes over it, and you know, it, it was very chaotic. And I really enjoyed um, having this spirit sort of dominating. Uh, Geralt, uh, as well as Yaskia and, and the attack on the bard where, you know, it's attacking his throat as, mm-hmm. where Yaskia is just kind of listing off wishes. But of course, it's Geralt who has those wishes. He is the master of this, this djinn. Um, and it ultimately, this leads to him having to go to the village where he needs to find a mage for the cure, the magical cure for, for Yaskia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really like this. I just like the fact that it was an evil gin in yeah, a sense. Yeah. I don't think it was supposed to be evil. It, and I think Geralt always kind of said it's because it likes to be left alone. Mm-hmm. It's because it was uh, captured. Yeah. Would you like to be? If, how would you like it if you were uh, held captive? I think that's what he says to Yennefer. Exactly. So it, it's kind of you know all this sort of pent up anger is all coming out uh, so he attacks Eskia but you know it's kind of that nice refreshing change from Aladdin I suppose in that sense well absolutely yeah. um, and I, I liked how it was captured where it did feel like um, smoke and you do get the form of the gin every so often and, and just how it sort of brings um, 
Geralt and Yennefer into the same space as he goes looking for uh, a cure. I have to say as well, um, just the whole introduction between Geralt and Yennefer with the kind of orgy that's going on. And I have to say, (laughs) Yaskir, I loved his face because, you know, he's kind of dying. He's bleeding from the mouth. But his eyes are kind of like big marbles, just like going, what is going on? And then he can't, he doesn't really have any strength. So he's just kind of, he's in amongst all these naked people who are writhing and and doing their thing. And his his eyes are kind of like, just like, get me out of here, help me. Even though um, he's up against, um, I think, a a number of breasts at one point Mm -hmm. as uh, as Geralt and, and Yennefer are sort of having their their first big meeting, first big meeting and conversation yeah. um so i i kind of really liked uh Yasky's awkwardness uh, and sort of um in, in this moment and a bit later on where um you know he's effectively saying um i certainly didn't butter that biscuit as he's wondering about whether um he has slept with Yennefer mm-hmm. and i was having a dream about women which was good, but then I woke up and I was having a nightmare. It wasn't so good with Yennefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, I, I did um, absolutely think Yaskia was great uh, in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I criticized him early on. I didn't criticize him. I said the character is supposed to be irritating and annoying. <laughs> but in this episode, I have to say, I felt very sorry for him. That looked really painful seeing his throat expand, you know. And that was effectively a mistaken wish, kind of the um, the classic uh, trope i suppose where you make a wish and it's slightly different than what you think you know you hear Geralt saying i just want some peace and the peace that he gets is poor yaskir in this much pain and almost dying effectively so uh, i thought that was quite interesting just wanted to check guys the reason why the wishes were Geralt's and not yaskir's is that because Geralt cuts his arm the first time from the uh, container um and you see later on when he makes the second wish or when the second wish is coming true he gets another slash in his arm to follow it is that something that you guys caught i took it as he opened it so actually Geralt was holding the stopper Mm -hmm. and he opened it so he was actually the one who yeah who like literally rubbed the lamp yeah whereas it was only it was yaskir holding the lamp yeah that's how so I. That's took the it. way I took it. Is that they, it was you? You think that because Yaskir's holding it, mm-hmm. he gets the wishes, but it's actually the the action of t- breaking the seal, which right. is the the we have the 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 seal of the uh, kind of sorcery of whoever s- sealed that yeah. gin. Yeah, um, it was just that moment when he's on the ground trying to pick up the broken. Uh, vial, I suppose, or the broken container after Yasker's dropped it. Um, you see him holding it in his hand and then he gets the slash in his arm. So I just thought that maybe some of, maybe the connection between the two things was what's causing it, but that makes sense as well. Uh, I did really like the orgy idea, John. I think we talked about it afterwards, uh, that, that kind of funny scene. It almost feels like everybody that came to uh, Yennefer for help, if she didn't like what they were asking for, she just added them to the orgy because I love yep. that moment where she kind of snaps her fingers and all these people look at each other going, what the hell was I just doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true because I, I did think it was weird that that's how you would spend your Friday afternoon mm. or Friday evening, dare I say it, just kind of 
presiding over this orgy because she's just literally just there watching. Yeah. So if Geralt hadn't arrived, would she just have sat there and, and watched, which I thought was a little creepy, <laughs> um, for sure. But um, thankfully, um, Yaskia and uh, and Geralt do turn up and are, are caught up in, in the orgy for, for the laughs, certainly uh, with uh, Yaskia, the, the bard. Um, also, I did like Geralt's entrance to the mansion house with the guards, <laughs> where he does say money opens all doors, so it does, as he uses the bag of gold coins to whack the guard. Um, I thought that was very funny. I do like the intonation of Henry Cavill uh, as the Witcher. I like the deadpan um, sort of, I am a big man um, kind of thing, <laughs> doing short sharp quips or or just generally swearing mm -hmm. i think uh i think he does that uh really really nicely i think it really fits uh the character but of course i think chris you have the next big point with Geralt and yen uh and of course with the the gin being very central uh to this yeah so my big point is the last wish um the, the last wish come it this is something that has then uh, huge implications for the, the story in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the one thing I did want to say is wouldn't you have, I, I've seen a few people say, Oh, well, you didn't get to really see the gin, did you? It's just kind of, it was ethereal and kind of just went up into the sky. It's a smoke monster. And I went, well, yeah, smoke monster. But I was like, would you really have wanted kind of like a Robin Williams esque or <laughs> exactly. a kind of uh, Will Smith esque? Just like, hey, did it, da, da, da. <laughs> just kind of like jumping around and mm -hmm. like, yeah, it would have given us a few more musicals, but um, <laughs> that would have been about it. We have enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. We, we we've seen Aladdin in twenty nineteen already. <laughs> um, anyway, so my my bit is the last wish. Mm -hmm. So. What I found really enjoyment and a lot of enjoyment from this is we get the reveal that it's actually Geralt who has the wishes. Um, that like, so actually when you rewatch it, the cuts that we see on his arm is after he just wishes like Yaskir was shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, so they come around the same time. Uh, so I was just really amused by that because when you go back and watch it, it he does say the lines yeah that he's just like i wish you would just shut the hell up and blah 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 um and then we get the the basically reveal that yen is dying by trying to contain the the jinn in herself um mm -hmm. so we start to see and we get backstory at the beginning of this kind of we get exposition that yen now just the one thing she wants is a child. Mm -hmm. She has all the power uh, that she needs, but because that power came at the that power came at the cost of being a mother, mm -hmm. that she she's unhappy with that cost now. Well, absolutely. So she she's been doing everything she can over the last few years. She's left the circle to find a power that will restore yeah. that option to her. Yeah, because. That's the thing. She wants the option. And she, she's looking for... I, I took it as she's looking for more power. Like, she wants to obviously have her um, 
her womb back effectively. Mm. She wants to be able to have a child. Um, but she, she's curing Yaskia simply to control the, the gin, as you say, Chris, uh, cause she thinks he has the wishes. He is the master. And, and so to ensnare uh, the, the, the gin. But she's always looking for power. That's the thing I've always kind of at this moment in the series, um, with Yennefer is that she's always looking for more power. Uh, for various different ends, um, which is really interesting. Well, I think it, it kind of translates to what we talked about in the in our last part. You know, it's it, there's a cost to power, is what the, everybody keeps telling her, and she wants to have everything. She says that's exactly the line she says in this episode. I want to have everything. So the idea that she has had to give up her ability to have children, she in fact calls it. It was taken away. They will take away your ability to have children in order to get the power because that's been done to her. She's going well. I need to find a way to to, to bring that back as well. So I have everything that I used to have plus all the power, effectively. So, um, so I think that's quite interesting. You know, this idea that. To her, it's not an exchange in order to get more power, even though that's what happened. She feels that was taken away from her to get power, and now she wants it back. So she's yeah. now going around this uh, this world trying to find any cure for the thing that was taken away from her. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I, I do like that, um, especially because it does lead to what we get um, in this episode, which is the, the, the binding of, well... Yeah, I, I suppose I, I, I should, I can say it now because we're reviewing all of them. Mm-hmm. The binding of Geralt and Yen. Yeah. Um, so we don't hear, we don't hear what the last wish Geralt wished for. Um, he wished to save Yen, mm-hmm. but he was like, I essentially, we never actually hear exactly how he phrases it in the, the TV show, mm-hmm. but in episode six at the end, we hear, that we find out that it was say he was she was saved from the gin by Geralt because he basically wants to tie their fates together. Okay. Essentially like don't he ties them together. Um so that's what we find out in this T V show. Mm-hmm. It's laid out a lot a lot better in the books. Right. Um I've I've read this story now. Mm-hmm. Um since um Kind of since we, I've been since we've started recording these. I've started reading some of the short stories and yeah. some of the 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 uh, those, the overall novels, mm-hmm. uh, and I've gotten up to the last wish. Um, I'm past it actually now. Um, it's laid out a lot better in the books. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more explicit, I should say. Yeah. When you find out how they bonded, well, what was said to bond it together, because we just don't know. Essentially, all he said we we know is that Geralt. Wish Yen to be saved and saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we find out that it's what it, it means much more. But I think this is again that's the kind of trope of a wish. You know, everybody thinks I wish for a million dollars, I'll wish for a great house, and I wish for more wishes. Is what everybody says. But what we find out repeatedly throughout all of fantasy is effectively if you make wishes, you don't get exactly what you want out of the wishes. Yeah. So him saying, "I want her to be alive forever." And the djinn goes, oh, you want her to be alive? Well, then the two of you will be bound together forever, effectively, to ensure that she stays alive forever kind of thing, you know? Um, so that I, I love that. Again, it's magic at a cost. It's another another one of those uh, tropes, for want of a, of a better word. Um, that's kind of it for the three main points. Anything else you want to uh, discuss on this first episode, guys? 
Yeah, so we need to discuss something very quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go completely off topic, and I just want to hear, hear what everyone thinks, is how the hell is Yaskier immortal now? <laughs> um, immortal, yeah. Immortal. Like he is just so we in the beginning of this episode, mm-hmm. he literally says it's been a decade since he's spoken to Geralt. It says a decade since um the since Geralt left him in the court. Yeah. Um uh basically in Sintra and uh since that whole uh Pavat and all that kind of has come about. Mm-hmm. Um but Yaskir does not look a day. Older. I did laugh uh, at that. Yeah, I was kind of going. He looks like he just went and changed his shirt. Surely they could, yeah. like, you know, make him look like he hadn't shaved for a few days, maybe. <laughs> just something. It's the magic but, of music, Chris. You know, if he sings a good song, it, it de-ages him. You know, maybe uh-huh. that's it. He's young like, as well. He needs the the aging cream. Um, but so it's laid out that in it's even expressly said that magic and mutation slow aging. Mm-hmm. So that's why Yennefer and Geralt and all the other major characters are not aging. Yeah. And they've ev- they even age Queen Calanthe. Mm-hmm. So they just forgot to age Yaskir? Or it's something for season two. <laughs> Maybe. I just assumed because he was young. Yeah. And it like, well, he's not really changed that much. Like, yeah. he's not hit 40. So... You know, he's kind of there, thereabouts. A ten years seems like a significant one. I know, like sometimes you meet old schoolmates and you go, "You haven't changed it today," but you're usually just being kind. They've gotten grey yeah. hairs, <laughs> they've gone a little bit bald, they've got a little bit of a paunch, or they are growing a beard, something like that. But ten years, is maybe massive. he looks after himself. Maybe he moisturizes. <laughs> yeah. He takes his vitamins. True, you know, if but he they, is they even grayed. Mossack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Mossack's an old dude. A mousack, even. Yeah, and. Yeah. But, like, you know, if he's barding away in big halls and all that, then he's eating well, he's kind of got, you know, it's the equivalent of a luxury hotel in this world, being in the palace or or the (laughs) castle. So maybe it's just he looks after himself and moisturizes. And there's plenty of pills and potions out there, so maybe... (laughs) There's a slight potion that allows him to keep young. Absolutely. And remember, you know, how many famous people look really young in comparison to the people that they were in school with or the people yeah, that they know in their real life? He's basically just had Botox and filler. Yeah. He's basically Tom Cruise, <laughs> the singer. Magical Botox. <laughs> um, one of the one I just wanted to comment on was uh, there's a mention in here of the scent of lilac and gooseberries, and it's not really explained. It's when... Um, Yin is trying to control uh, Geralt, and he goes, oh, the scent of lilac and gooseberries. Um, we did start the Witcher game last week, and the Yay! opening scene, effectively, of Witcher 3 is him going, she smells of lilac and gooseberries. So it's obviously something that the scent of lilac and gooseberries follows Yennefer around, um, kind of like the scent of her magic. But it's not very well explained in this show, and I didn't really understand it from the game, other than he seems to follow her around the world using this scent. It's essentially that that's her. Anytime that that he, anytime he thinks of her, he smells that. Mm-hmm. Anytime they meet, that's how, like even before, because the witch's noses are kind of tuned up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like in episode um, six, you see that kind of like he does that kind of look off and sniff, um, and then he sees Yen. Yeah. So it's always that lie like. Gooseberries either precedes her or follows her. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so at least it's lilac and gooseberries, and it's nothing 
like Gwen- yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow's sense that she's coming out with. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, goop. Oh, dear, John. Oh, God. <laughs> let's, let's move let's, away let's from follow, that. Yeah. Yeah, but I will quickly. say that there was a discussion for all our fellow uh, kind of watchers and witchers. Um, there was a very brief discussion because Goop has its own Netflix show now. Um, should we podcast on it? Uh, the answer is no. No, no, we will not be podcasting on that at all, though. Definitely not. Uh, a final thing just to mention in this episode, uh, Yennefer is visited by uh, Tisso, uh, who tells her that the mage who took over her role in, Nel- in Nelfgaard uh, is Frangela. Um, she's working with the rightful heir now. So this is the job that uh, Yennefer fell out of in uh, yeah. the previous episodes we were yeah. talking about. And effectively, this is what kicks off the entire war, is that Frangela is working with what they call the rightful heir. and this is what kicks off the big battles that are going on in the series. So it's from this scene between uh, Yennefer and Tisso. it sounds like if Yennefer had just done her job and stayed there in that court that she was bored of after three decades working there, if she just stayed there, maybe all the wars wouldn't have happened and all these people wouldn't have died. I just think it's an interesting little uh, bit of the episode there. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think um, Fringilla definitely becomes uh, very central later on mm-hmm. and... Uh, there is a little bit of um, sarcasm and and skit uh, from the the majors around what would have happened if uh, Yennefer had re- remained in Nilfgaard uh, and and actually gone there rather than her becoming pretty and and moving to and um, what was seen as a more high profile um, sort of royal house. Right. Uh, so that was kind of uh, I kind of quite like that. So, with that, on to episode six, Mm -hmm. Rare Species. Derek, what are some of the directing and writing details on this? Well, the episode was directed by Charlotte Branstone again. Um, It was written by Hayley Hall, who was a production assistant on TV show Power in 2017, and then became a staff writer on this season of The Witcher, and this is her episode uh, of the show. So uh, I I love seeing that progression. We've seen it a number of times uh, on the Netflix shows and that kind of stuff, where you see somebody moving up to the position of a writer on the show from working as production assistant. I don't know. I just just really like that progression for writing that there is a yeah, path it's really to nice get into to see. shows. Yeah. 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 Uh, John, do you want to give us the summary? Sure. A mysterious man named Borch Three Jackdaws tries to entice Geralt to join a hunt for a rampaging dragon, a quest that attracts a familiar face. Meanwhile, Ciri questions who she can trust. So yes, um, a dragon hunt. We see dragons in this world. And just to say, Borch Three Jackdaws was played by Ron Cook from Hot Fuzz, one of the one of the three Cornetto parts to the trilogy. Yes, wasn't he the drunken man who uh, tried to cook himself up some, uh, some a fry up whilst drunk? Well, yes. really drunk. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> and ultimately, he is blown up. Yes, he didn't last very well. Long. He's killed actually, yeah. and then blown up. <laughs> that's what happens when you cook a fry up drunk. Exactly. It's just. Start, it's just <laughs> It's just true life. Chris, do you want to kick us off with your big moment for episode six? Yes. Uh, actually, before I kick off, I want to take one aside, right? Which is, this is one of the things I really enjoy about The Witcher. Um, it's, it's not, it's Game of Thrones asking that it's a real world. There are complete beasts in the world. Um, but there's also some really nice people. There's monsters and then there's monsters that are not bad. Um, so we have the, the, the creature that Yaskir, um, basically finds in the, uh, the, yes. the bushes is a, is a Hirika. Okay. Um, and these are in the games. 
And they're not, they're not bad. They're just, they're cute looking bipedal kind of dogs. Right. Um, so, but actually really strangely is in the Witcher lore and in the, I already know this because of the, in the game, they're almost extinct. Right. Like they're more rare than a dragon. Oh, wow. Um, so when Yurik kills and like dismembers one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, they should have played on that more. It just shows how much of a b he is. Well, I do like the fact that that poor creature did take uh, its revenge from beyond the grave with the squits from Sir Nightalot. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought that was uh, sweet justice. Because, yeah, it was kind of like, it, it almost felt like he was a knight that really hadn't proven himself yet. And he thought this was... I know. Let let's do it on the equivalent of a little kitten yeah. uh, that yeah. that is starving um, and co goes completely overboard. So of course, everyone else there who has seen battle, has fought monsters, uh, uh, and so on, are like going uh, a little over the top. Yeah, so night a lot. <laughs> if you had a, if you had a walked away, if we had a fed it, it would have gone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love the reaction of everybody to this character all the time. It's like we get it for kingdom and glory. Okay. <laughs> and I kind of like the idea that effectively Yennefer is bringing him with her to sacrifice him, and he doesn't know it. You know? I just think that's a really know. good idea. It's like, well, he'll probably die, but I accomplish my goals, so I'll put up with this boring, boring, uh, blusterous dude so that i get what i want you know i really like that kind of idea from yennefer um but speaking of that sacrifice uh the my main point really is the uh, it's the dragon theme throughout this the dragon the the plot point mm -hmm. which is we we know that um Bosch kind of essentially takes or hires Geralt to for this quest to stop the rampage and dragon. Mm -hmm. Um, we know, and he's like, well, dragons are rare. They don't, we don't usually hunt them because you don't need them. Um, they, they, they don't attack people. We start, we see the great trek forward through the mountains to get there. And what really, I really enjoy is the twist on the ending. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. Like, it's not, they, it's not a, they get to a dragon and they have to kill the dragon. It's not they get to the dragon, they have a nice chat with the dragon, etc., and then everything's fine. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's it's unique that you get there. Well, first of all, you find out that Boris was a golden dragon, mm -hmm. which is great, because that has to come back into play later, I'm pretty sure, because yeah. uh, he's the rarest of the rare. Mm -hmm. But it's also that the green dragon was pregnant. She basically had laid her eggs. She was just protecting her egg, and she's died because of it. Yeah. Um. So now there is a motherless egg with Borsh. Um, yeah, and they can't move the egg, can they? Otherwise, no. the life inside will be destroyed. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I thought this was a great, um, a great undercutting of dragons yes. because yeah, that's that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, Thank you. That's definitely like I, I loved the idea. It was this I of keeping your enemies closer so they go with all the hunters. Mm -hmm. Um and you've got these two kick ass ladies that are protecting Borch, um, who you just think is an old man, and then he is a dragon 
in human form and then you see that his kind of waistcoat or his overcoat has that scaly look to it which yes. is really nicely yeah, done good. i love um, that conversation between yasker and, and his two protectors where he's going why are you hanging out with them i presume you're hired hands <laughs> and they're like no no yeah. he's the most beautiful and look at him as if he's crazy you know <laughs> i think that's a really good little moment between the two of them and the fall off the side of the mountain i think that's cool that really yeah. reminded me of something like uh, lost boys do you remember that where they're uh, hanging under the bridge and they drop into the yeah fog below and then you realize that they're uh, they're supernatural beings so they're able to escape effectively so that's kind of what happens with these three they all fall off the side of the mountain and they're saved by him transforming back into his gold dragon form i think that's just such a cool little concept because you don't think they're going to be coming back no um but there's also a, a, another little touch here as well a little bit of maybe agatha christie kind of murder mystery as effectively he's murdering some of the hunters as they're going up the hill or himself and his partners are murdering them as they're going up the hill um, so that they never make it to their quest of killing the dragon. I think that's kind of cool because you would not point the finger at him at all. You would not think that he's the one that's taking out people's weapons and killing people on the way up. Uh, but that's part of his mission before he gets there and then gets Yen and uh, and Geralt to protect uh, his final um, destination, I suppose. Well, he, yes, because the, the knight is slayed uh, whilst he is squatting mm-hmm. uh, for his number two. Who would do that? I don't know who would do that. <laughs> a fitting end for a knight so unchivalrous. Absolutely. I think the other thing I really liked about this was because they get to the dragon and Yennefer switches once she understands that the female dragon was protecting her egg. Mm-hmm. And because of the situation she finds herself where she has given up the ability to have children for power and she wants it back so badly that ultimately she turns on, on this moment to protect the dragon and the egg um from all these sort of um th- these these groups of men who are there to slay um the dragon take the egg um and so on and, and i think that's really nice because i th- i think it really does say um for yennefer that she you know, we were kind of saying, well, is she the big bad? Is she the evil one? But at least at this moment, there's a rationale Absolutely. to her that is incredibly human. And that maybe, you know, her previous uh, life when she was disfigured and in the village, she understands people ganging up on individuals or other creatures. Again, when you're seeing the knight killing the poor creature, you know, the the look on her face as well. So... I think that's a really nice aspect of um of Yennefer here in this mm-hmm. this dragon quest that that we have when they get to the nest. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Cuz very early just before that, uh, Geralt has already turned on the idea of killing the dragon and it's trying to convince Yennefer and then she's kind of going no no I've still got my mission but when she finally realizes I suppose um she does go on his side I do think that's really interesting uh your big moment for the episode John is is about uh them as well isn't it towards the end of the episode yeah I think I think it's really interesting that we see here a passing of ways um of both Yennefer and Yaskia from Geralt with different ways as Chris was saying you know, there's the moment when Yennefer realizes the wish that Geralt made, and she wants no part of him again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it at the you know at that moment, I was like, oh no, we've just got them together, and now she's wanting nothing more to do mm-hmm. uh, with with him. Uh, and she goes off on her separate way. And then we have 
this falling out um between Yaskia and Geralt and, and and they split and part ways you know Geralt has almost just had enough of the bard's incessant chit chat and, and <laughs> one off remarks and because he's just had that passing of ways with the Enifer again he takes it out on on Yaskia and again it's just such a contrast to the previous episode where he was doing everything to try and save Yaskir. And you have that moment where, um, I think when he's in prison with the, the elf, um, after, um, and you've got the guard coming to effectively take him to the gallows where they're talking about, um, Geralt and, and Yaskir being friends. So, you know, you, you kind of see here in this moment, uh, this parting of ways, you know, a splitting of friendship, a splitting of this sort of destined relationship of Geralt and Yennefer and the friendship of Yaskia and Geralt. So, uh, mm. th- that was my big point here because it felt really big that he was losing these two companions, yeah. uh, at the end of this episode, uh, and, and how, or if they would ever come back together again within the remaining episodes. Um, so I'm glad there's a season two. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the interesting things about how the show is structured, isn't it? Because time moves so differently in the show. Sometimes you're directly following on from at the exact end of an episode, but one of the stories, usually with Siri, that seems to play out in real time uh, all the time. Whereas other times you hear something like Yasker going, Maybe we'll have to wait another decade before you'll call me call me friend. We've already had one decade gone by, you know. So, and you hear that himself and Yennefer have met multiple times since their first meeting in episode five. They met multiple times up to episode six. He's always around when bad things are happening, kind of thing. So, um, so they have developed a relationship between all three of these characters, not just on screen, but in a number of years off screen, which I think is interesting. Does that mean in season two they might? look at some stories that may have happened in between the episodes effectively as their way of kind of doing this flashback structure again in season two, do you think? I I do. I think that's what we're going to get in season two, which I think is they'll do some of the short stories, Mm -hmm. which is those, which is kind of like, and that will give us our flashback that they'll be our timey wimey chain. That will be the timey wimey part for season two. Which is the, the the flashback to when when they saved the world, the kingdom of X by just the three of them again. Yes, because that's the thing. They Yaskir and Geralt kind of float in and out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do travel quite a lot, but then they go off. So I, I'm I'm interested to see. I'm, I'm interested to see how they'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that effectively Yasker comes in to top up his song book effectively to, to kind of meet up with them and go, have you had any adventures recently that I could write about? <laughs> <laughs> I love, again, when he's going along with all of these hunters and he's kind of getting some stories off them. He's like, oh, this would make a number one single. It's kind of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <this> absolutely. <laughs> this would pay for my my food all the way through winter, you know? <laughs> Just quickly, Derek, before as well we go on to your big point, the one thing I'd love to see in season two, as you said, we started playing the Witcher game and there is an opening um, part to it where there is a great death as a raven flies through the eye of the king with the big sword, mm-hmm. um, who I'm not entirely sure who that is. It could be Kahir. I don't know. No, we, we only literally started the game, so we don't know yet. But I was just like going, wow, that is literally 
one of the best death scenes I've seen in a long time. So I hope we get that in season two. (laughs) That was very cool. I'm going to talk about the Doppler again uh, for my other big moment. Am I the only one that likes this character? Look at you. You are just obsessed with the Doppler. (laughs) I think it's a great character. I really like this whole concept of what it's doing. It's just going around possessing different people in in this world. And it kind of felt like uh, the thing to me. Um, Now, I will admit, I can't remember exactly where the story ends, whether it's this episode or the next episode. So you guys might might need to correct me, but I'm not going to talk about it for episode yeah. seven, I promise. Uh, just going to talk about it in this episode as he is in the form of Mesak. Big props to the actor who plays Mesak. He feels completely different than he has all yeah, the other definitely. episodes. You know, he was that really friendly character when he was talking to Geralt, who's kind of patting him on the back, and the two of them have a really good relationship. You see him as the supportive, uh, instructive person when he's talking to the lioness, the queen, uh, as he's been working with her for years. And now when he's walking with Ciri out of the forest, you see how annoying he's getting at this child asking him questions and questioning his motives all the time. I really like how that's being played by by the actor who's playing Mesa. I think that's really, really good. Uh, but Siri has listened to the advice and and realizes that she needs to ask all the right questions. And she starts asking all the right questions of this character who knows everything about Mesak. But what he may not know is the feeling and and uh, intimacy between Siri and Mesak in the past. He may not understand the detail behind it because he still has his own personality underneath it all, um, which I just kind of like that that revelation comes in. Uh, Siri once again is left all alone when she does find out uh, that this is a Doppler and not not her friend. Uh, Dara walks away from her, effectively leaving her behind, and she gets away from the Doppler. And then what I really like is that he takes on the form of Siri to go back to Cahir, as if saying, I have captured her kind of thing. Um, but the reason why I've chosen this as my point is because, well, I was kind of right. I said that the last time we saw Siri and Cahir face to face, there was a look on Cahir's face looking like he was actually trying to save her, not trying to kill her, which everybody had made the assumption that he was trying to murder her effectively. But what we hear here in this conversation between the Doppler version of Siri and uh, Kahir is he's saying to her, I'm really sorry that I scared you. I didn't want to scare you. If there was any other way that I could have gotten you and gotten to you, I would have done it. But this is the only way. He believes he's trying to save Siri. Like any good bad guy, he's justified what his um, intentions are with our main character. So I do like that. I was right. It was just one of those weird things that kind of popped into my head when I saw the the interaction between the two of them. Um, But I like that this is how it plays out in the episode. Yeah. I'm really glad that they're pulling it this way in that Kahir is a zealot Mm -hmm. and he, we don't know why, but to them, Cirilla is the, the prophesized, something yes she is going to save something like again we're learning slowly more and more but yeah you were right we thought it was just he was the bad guy yeah but again it's one of the things i'm I'm enjoying about the, the witcher universe and actually how they've translated this which is yes it's the tropes but it's a slight spin twist on the tropes Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things that keeps me enjoying it yeah absolutely definitely i I think as well with kahir he is trying to save her but to what end you know i think we really do get that idea he is in some way a a zealot of some description of something that 
he believes in totally and nothing else will change his mind. So mm -hmm. he, he is pure um, driven and he feels entitled to do what he's doing in bringing this war to the the world mm -hmm. of, of the Witcher. So, um, yeah, he he wants to save her. But what does that mean? You know, what is it that he wants to save her for? For him, for his own gain, for his kingdom's mm -hmm. gain, or because she is somehow central in making him even more powerful? Is she just another, yeah, powerful weapon for them to yeah. use in their war? Yeah. Uh, it would be stupid of me not to also talk about the Kahir versus Doppelganger fight where Doppelganger takes over Kahir's body and the two of them fight against each other. I think that's really good because, yeah. again, you have this idea that the Doppler learns all of your abilities and has all your knowledge as well while fighting against you. So how would you beat yourself if your opponent has all of your skills? And then it turns into a bit like The Thing, one of my favorite movies of all time, where the Doppler leaves the room and Cahir follows him out into a room full of people and goes, is he still here or has he left? I'll slaughter everybody yeah, in the yeah. room to try and find out whether this doubler's gone or not. I think that's really, really good when you see Cahir sitting on the floor covered in blood and just bodies everywhere around him. I think that's such a great little image that you have of this character. What I find interesting is the Doppler now has a cut on its face and it is Cahir, right? Mm -hmm. So it's escaped, potentially. Yeah. That's going to come back to in season two. Mm -hmm. Will it use the form of Kahir, um to do stuff? Yeah. And is it now going to be um, the? <laughs> it's that kind of. How do we know it's the bad Kahir? Because uh -huh. it got a cut on its face versus <laughs> a good Kahir who doesn't. For some reason, it has a goatee that won't go away every time he transforms, even into Siri. He's got a goatee exactly. <laughs> to prove that he's the evil guy. Yeah. Well, that's true, actually, because I mean. Has there been potentially a, you know, a sleight of hand here in a card trick in that fight where, you know, later on in, in episode seven, episode eight, are we absolutely sure that this is the original Kahir that was there before that fight between him and the Doppler as mm. Kahir? Um, I, I didn't spot the, um, the, the, the slice as such. And, and maybe that's just for convenience at the moment to make that distinction. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise the Doppler's power suddenly, um, gets, uh, undermined a little yeah. if it takes on, um, a scar and can't get rid of it when it changes exactly. into a, a, another person, have which to always explain it away. Kind of which, which to be honest, when he changes from the good looking dude, um, into mouse sack um you know he just changes to mouse sack yeah. as far as i could see so um yeah it may have just been to identify who was what but i can't imagine that he would take the scar with him or the goatee beard it was almost <laughs> like it was just in the process of changing maybe mm -hmm. he hadn't fully formed or something maybe it's something around that but then i think the bigger question for me is has there been that slice of hand that magician's card right. trick that we will find out probably in season two. Right. I'm, I'm not sure whether there is a swap. I, th I think it is the original Kahir that we see for the rest of the other two episodes. The cut that's on his face that you're talking about, Chris, let's just make sure that I've got it in my head. That's from when Dara and Siri are fighting him with the silver and he gets damaged by the silver, isn't it? And that's why he's got this uh, permanent cut. No, no. Kahir slices him in the fight. Oh, okay. Just with a regular sword, though. 
with the regular sword. So it's unlikely to uh, stay on its face. If it was from the silver, then yeah, it was so most that's likely what I was, to stay. But they made they framed it. It was that framing that I'm like, hmm. Okay, they're gonna do something with this, right? Because he does get cut by with silver from Siri. Yes. Yes. So that's, that that would be more likely to remain as a permanent cut because that's his uh, his biggest weakness. Effectively, you see him uh, jumping away when. Um, when Kyra tries to throw them a bag of coins and he goes, don't worry, there's no silver inside there kind of thing. It's just regular coins. Yeah. So if Kyra had cut him with silver, I'd say you're probably right, Chris. That would be something that would be a distinguishing feature for the character into season two. Whereas if it was just with a sword, he's probably faced off against much worse in the past yeah. than a few swords. So it may just disappear. So you could be right, John. Maybe he will be taking the place of him for those two episodes and we don't know because there's no distinguishing feature anymore. Um, he could have just cleared that pretty quickly after walking out of the place. Yeah, I think it's just something to bear in mind yeah. moving forward, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just in case. I don't know if we called this out in the last episode. Silver is the only way to harm magical beasts and things like that. That's why Geralt carries two swords. Yes. He has a normal sword and then he has his silver sword. Very good, yeah. Um. I'd, so, yes. Yeah. So that's the, the that's why... Um, he's always carrying that big black, um, yes. the big black kind of sword mm-hmm. sheath. Yeah. Uh, he usually keeps it on, um, on Roach when he has him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or he carries it himself. And that's where the secondary sword is in the silver sword. Yes. We learned um, that in the, uh, the training module of fighting, um, <laughs> in the Witcher game when we learned yes. that the normal blade is for humans. Uh, and creatures, non-magical creatures, and the silver one for <laughs> creatures. And we can do a few rune blasts, like setting someone on fire. Yes, we've played it for a whole 15 minutes, I think. Yes. Um, just one last thing I want to mention before we get out of episode six. Um, I did like the little reference to the Hobbit from Yaskir as they get to the end of um, of this whole battle with the dragons and all the hunters and everybody fighting against each other, and Yaskir wakes up and goes... Did anything happen? <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Is everybody okay? He has missed this whole magical battle that's been going on. He is a bard. All of this would have made an amazing story to tell town to town across uh, across the world, but he's missed the whole thing. I feel like that's a reference to The Hobbit. We have uh, that moment at the end of the original book of The Hobbit where Bilbo Baggins gets knocked out and misses the entire battle of the five armies that's in the book, and it just skips to the next page, and he goes, oh, Everybody okay? <laughs> so I just like that little touch that's in the episode. Let's get on to episode seven, Before a Fall. Yes, this episode was directed by Mark Jobst. We've talked Ooh, about him a number of yes. times. Um, he's directed Hannibal. He's directed The Punisher, Luke Cage, and Daredevil before this episode and the final episode of uh, of this season of The Witcher. Uh, it was also directed by Alex Sakharov. This is his third episode of The Witcher, but he did four episodes of Game of Thrones as cinematographer and director of that show. Uh, I really like that because this is the kind of grittier of the two battles, the less magic-y of the two battles in the last two episodes. magic is not a word, I know. Um, but I like the idea that they brought on someone from Game of Thrones to be involved in this real battle scene that's going on in Sintra. I think that's a, a really good choice uh, to work with Mark Jobst, who's had much more experience with the Netflix shows and the big budget shows. Um, but I like the idea that they brought somebody on to, uh, to kind of help with this episode particularly. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that's the right way to do it. Like when there's certain, if you have experience in these framing, these shots, if you have experience in kind of setting everything up, so it looks good in the, in the back end, mm-hmm. then I think 
it makes sense to use that person. Exactly, yeah. Um, the episode was written by Mike Ostrowski. Uh, he's written a number of episodes for many, many shows, but he's done six episodes of the American version of Being Human as well. So uh, so dealing with some supernatural mm, beings cool. before, which is yeah. kind of cool. Uh, John, do you want to give the summary for the episode? Sure. With the continent at risk from Nilfgaard's rising power, Yennefer revisits her past, while Geralt reconsiders his obligation to the law of surprise. Yes, so what is your big moment from episode 7, Chris? So for me, it's it's the episode. No, (laughs) (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. It's um, I'm I'm doing a John on this. I'm going to go. This is (laughs) this is my big point. It's the episode. No, the Battle of Sintra from Geralt's point of view, or the beginning of the Battle of Sintra, I should say, and how we see the missing words between that that we saw in or the the different point of view of. The, the very first episode mm-hmm. with Queen Calanthe and Mausak. Yes, absolutely. Um, so actually I, I enjoyed this, the, the scene, like, <laughs> that's about to come out very wrong, but I enjoyed seeing the death of Queen Calanthe from a different, from Geralt's perspective. Yeah. Which was also um, quite amusing. I yes, did like the fact was, that he just kind of heard the thump and looked round, like going, "What was that?" <laughs> yeah, it was more it, amusing they, they, this they time. They played it weird yeah. on that one, didn't they? It was just like, <laughs> uh, uh, "Oh, there she is!" Ha! Oh, it, and it did seem to come off kind of fairly sort of powerful, rising emotional oh, yeah. music as well. And then it was like dump, and like Geralt's kind of like quizzical look on his face, oh. like, "What was that?" And I, I just then I really enjoyed so those what we thought were. I, I don't know what we thought from episode one where Queen Calanthe's talking to Mausak, um, and seeing him kind of like, go get Geralt. Yes. Yes. yes save him. But he's downstairs. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. All those kind of whispers. And then actually we, I don't know what we thought they were. I, I can't remember what I thought they were, but now I know what they are. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's what they were ta- talking about. Well, I think we just assumed that it was her giving instructions to get Siri away and safe, you know? Um, it's interesting when you think back to that first episode, the three of them are on horses trying to leave Sintra, uh, get out of the place and run away. And really, Geralt is very, very close at the time yeah. when they're running away. It's absolutely. Like, why are they riding so fast on the horses inside Sintra when he's just inside the gatehouse over there? No, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny you said timey-wimey before, Chris, for episode six, because I actually have timey-wimey in my notes for episode seven. Because, um, yeah, he, this is where we realize he isn't actually that far behind Siri in terms of time, but in terms of proximity as mm-hmm. well. And I, that point of view element, as you say, Chris, um, from your point is, is just really, it's really nice to have this moment from episode one being revisited in episode seven with that different point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just seeing how Queen Calanthe, um, is a little more, shall we say, anti-Geralt? You know, it's like, you know, she tries to kill him, then she lies to him, and then they capture him and imprison him so mm. it's like yeah she really didn't like the fact that a hedgehog uh was marrying her daughter <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forgot that like we knew there was time play timey-wimey things happening uh and it was literally i thought they'd almost stopped that last episode oh okay. but the, it was just again it's another perspective and it, it's interesting 
looking back now that knowing what we know at the end of episode seven mm-hmm. or actually in episode eight, um, everything was crossing over so much and we actually didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was happening years ago, but there was, it was two ships passing in the night, but narrowly missing each other. <laughs> well, I can say it now. The, the map and the detail from uh, Netflix that came out about the timeline for the show is over 50 years for the first season of the show. Oh, um, nice. The 30 years of the show is roughly uh, the time that we don't see Yennefer on screen. That's around 30 years. So that's taking up a lot of the timeline, obviously. Uh, but I must say, isn't it interesting? Like the first episode of the show, if you had followed the this traditional storyline of the timeline starting right there, effectively by this stage, Geralt is on his own, has lost all of his friends, is no longer doing missions, and is just trying to save Ciri. So what a completely different character he would have been if you had just continued on from that point until now, rather than showing him kind of building up and generally going around this world, taking jobs and killing monsters, you know? He's no longer that character. He's now taken on his destiny to try and protect and save Ciri. So um, so I think that's a really interesting choice from the show to do that. Uh, also, one of the things I want to point out, my I think John actually has my point for this episode, so I'll, I'll, I'll drop in on yours, Chris. Um, one of the things I like from this is Queen Calanthe seals her fate by not respecting the law of surprise, which I really like. She's told consistently, if you do not do this, and give up your grandchild to Geralt, which is what you have already agreed to in the Lost Surprise, you will die. You will lose your castle. You will lose your people, which is exactly what happens by her trying to kill Geralt, by her trying to lie to Geralt and send her, send somebody else off. That's why she dies, or at least that's what you could infer if you're a person that believes in fate, which is, I, I kind of like the writing in that, you know, that you could infer that she almost did it to herself by not heeding the warnings of every of all the mages in the world that effectively said to her, You've got laws of surprise. You've got to go with them. Yeah, you've got to honour it. You've got to honour it. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. No, no, it's true. John, what's your point on this? Um, I really enjoyed the meeting of the mages uh, at Aretusa, uh, the Citadel of the Gauls, yeah. uh, and the vote, because um, I, I think, one, it, it's coming off Yennefer returning there and her kind of um, having all these memories uh, returning to her. Um, as to um, sort of her deformity, the, the change, seeing now that there are girls that are paying to attend mm-hmm. the, the the tutelage of um, Tessia uh, and other mages. And I, I think um, you then have this vote where all the mages around the table about whether they need to get involved with the war and with what Nilfgaard is doing in terms of their conquest uh, yeah. of this world. We also have the put down from Stregobor as well, where he says, you know, maybe if um, Yennefer had gone to Nilfgaard instead of Fringilla, then... Um, they wouldn't be in this position yeah, exactly. to uh, be attacking uh, the world uh, uh, and conquests uh, a plenty for them. But I think, um, you know, the vote ultimately is not to help Sintra, uh, that they have spurned the mages in the past so that they should be allowed to continue that noble tradition, as Stregobor says. <laughs> um, and, but we see Yennefer vote in favor of sort of intervening in, in this conflict to help Sintra along with uh, Tessaia as well um, and that was kind of interesting along with Fringilla who talks about this white flame we get this notion of the white flame uh, and that they are using dark magic 
um, such as necromancy, dark potions, mm. and demon spells, which we certainly see in episode eight. I love uh, that little touch there. There's no such thing as dark magic. It's just magic. We're using it for our ends and for our goals. There's no such thing as dark magic. That's just notions yeah. being put in your head by Artuza. That's the notion that's put exactly. in your head. Good and, good and bad. There's no such thing. It's all magic. I like that kind of idea. Um, but, but we also hit, see that Nilfgaard is actually conscripting mages into mm-hmm. uh, servitude. And I, I was, certainly we see in episode eight that the magic that they're employing certainly seems to have a cost on the individual. Uh, maybe much more than normal magic, if you want, yeah. or, or the magic that is... Uh, preached by uh, Aratusa. So um, I, I really like this explanation around Fringilla. And she seems like she's really grown into this role. Absolutely. Um, and certainly we see that further in episode eight. So this is a really fascinating character here uh, around the table. Um, and I like the fact that ultimately after the vote, we have this kind of rebel alliance and, and splinter group forming <laughs> around... Um, Viljafort, who ha- has met with Yennefer uh, on the road, and also uh, with uh, Tsia as well, um, her former teacher. And Yennefer is in that group as well, who vote to help Sintra and to stop um, the onward progression of Nilfgaard mm-hmm. as a conquering army. So, um, and again, I suppose this white flame uh, is an interesting uh aspect here and i i wonder if in in some ways this relates to why nilfgaard need to be going after siri um the reason why he wants to have uh siri and, and capture her again just one of those theories i think mm. yeah um i i'm with you on that um yay yeah <laughs> i think lauren schmidt has changed enough of the book and the games and the topics and the things that are happening in this that I really don't know where things are going. Okay. Interesting. Um, so the reason I say this is, so Vilgefortz is a major character in the books mm-hmm. and in the games. Um, and his role is slightly different now. Yeah, it's different. Okay. From what I don't like, I, in case they're going in season two, I'm not going to kind of, I don't want to ruin things and things like that. But it makes me wonder. They're, they're tweaking enough of the story. So they're taking, how do we put this? They're taking the tropes and they're tweak, tweaking them so that they're, they're interesting. They're new. They're different. Mm-hmm. But also what I'm wondering if, if Lauren is taking, the core concept that have already been tweaked and tweaking them again right. to make them different, to make this. So imagine you were watching an ad- adaptation of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You've already seen Star Wars. You know the beats and they're already kind of tweaks on tropes that you already know. Yeah. So what if this ad- adaptation again was tweaking the story again? Absolutely. And and that's absolutely what a showrunner has to do. You know, the books are always going to be there. Go read the books if you want to see that story, I suppose. If the games are going to be there, go play the games if you want that story. And this is a TV show where everybody involved has to present something new for eight episodes. So uh, absolutely has to change things to fit uh, the show. Um, I wanted to just confirm, Force is the guy that has the awesome knife fight against Cahir in the final episode. Yes. yes. There are so, 
so many characters in this show. <laughs> so Yeah. And they introduce a lot of them in the last couple of episodes. Yeah, you know, I, I presume that's because we're leading up to this massive battle in episode eight as well. So but it is you're you're right. He, he is a really interesting character when we get to that final episode. I do think they set him up at the end of that episode to play a big part in season two. But we'll talk about that when we get to episode eight uh, in just a second. Uh, as I said, John kind of had the same point as me. But two things quickly that I just wanted to talk about at the end of this episode. The meeting between Yennefer and Istrid. Just to comment on the fact that this is how you do a meeting of a character that, ha- that haven't seen each other for 20 years. <laughs> He's got a beard. He looks completely different. Doesn't look as good, unfortunately, as he used to do when uh, himself and Yennefer were together. But I like the meeting of the two of them where she's kind of going, well I kind of still love you basically and he, and I have been able to use my beauty to get whoever I wanted in the world but all they wanted was the power that they see in me and he looks at her and goes but I see the power that was inside you and I'm the only one that's seen that and she just kind of looks back at him doesn't say a word not revealing that Geralt has also seen that type of power from yes. her as well so I really like how that's played um, by the actress in that, in that moment uh, I love that she presents it to him as yeah you're right or you could be but i'm not confirming that <laughs> that's really yeah cool. and i think tasaya also knows the power that she has absolutely as well yeah um for sure yeah i also enjoy when she's going back to artuza to talk to the young girls who paid their way into the uh into the the school i guess uh, and just kind of look at them going do any of you have any kind of magical abilities at all or did you just pay oh well we we thought that the place deserved to have people from good families here so what does she do she basically cooks up a batch of lsd to give to these girls and tells them you'll you'll never know the colors that you'll see when you're taking these drugs basically i just, just think it's quite funny where she's just going well this place has gone to the dogs they're not even bringing in magic users anymore they're just taking the money you know i also got the sense that she was about to turn them into to eels as well if uh to see her hadn't come in and intervened at that moment so uh yeah i thought that was good i, I loved all that kind of flashback i liked the kind of the sense of bitterness uh and resentment about aratusa and yeah. her, her time there um and i i thought that was really really good the, the, those memories um especially where she looks in the mirror to see her old form as well i, I thought that sort of reflecting back on her as well yeah um which i suspect would have been a bit of a a double-edged sword in that you know she had to change from that to get this power of beauty which mm-hmm. has ultimately turned to dust um hasn't really promised what she thought it could do um, and ultimately she's no longer um you know she, she's not in that kingdom that is proving to be the one that has the power yeah. that is Nilfgaard and I think we get this um it's I know it's in episode eight but we do get that moment where Fringilla speaks to her in, in Elgin yeah. saying about um this is where the power is this is where you can fulfill your true potential you wanted to- the world looking for all of the power and you should have just come here because yeah. you can do whatever you want to uh over here uh, i definitely want to make the point about that because that goes right back to what i said at the beginning of the season uh when we get into episode eight uh one of the points that i just wanted to mention because myself and john actually talked about this directly after the episode we've been talking almost constantly throughout all of our discussions about this show and comparatives to Game of Thrones, just purely because Game of Thrones was the massive big budget show on TV for almost 10 years. Um, and this is the next one that's going to kind of take over from it in a way. Um, one of the things I just want to comment on was Siri being attacked by the kids who she used to play uh, Knucklebone with. Oh, yeah. Um, what I said directly after that scene was just, 
I'm so glad this isn't Game of Thrones and I'm so glad we have a different showrunner because that scene absolutely would have been those boys raping Siri or attempting yep. to yep, rape her. Exactly. It's so good that they don't need to do that. The peril of having five bigger boys come along and go, we're going to kidnap you and, and give you over to the people that will pay the highest price is enough peril to have. But there's no way the showrunners of Game of Thrones would have been able to resist having another yeah. rape storyline in their show. And, and I would have sensed that even if they hadn't done that, there would have been uh, an intimation towards it if yeah. she doesn't behave, that, you know, we'll have our way with you. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I think, um, I think it, it's, it, it feels like Witcher is certainly about bigger themes and they want to focus on this you know destiny mm -hmm. fate the battles um the the bigger world storytelling yes there are intimate moments but it's not throwaway intimate moments which uh in, in this sense you know this absolutely makes sense that these these four sintrons to try and save themselves would sell siri back to would sell siri to the nilf guardians because of the bounty yeah and hopefully then be able to to live and, and not be sort of cut down by them you know it's a way of saving themselves yeah. um but even if their attack had ended exactly the same way with with them not being able to take her away it absolutely would have been said in dialogue about them going to rape her it absolutely would have been done in game of thrones that would have been the thing that pushed her over the edge to use her massive power to kill them you know so i'm so glad we don't have to go through another one of those storylines in this show which we went through multiple times over and over again in season after season of game of thrones which i adore still one of my favorite shows of all time but it was something that they just lent on as a crutch if there's a woman who's powerful somebody will attempt to rape her and she'll either get out of it or won't it's kind of the way they did it in that show i i, I did feel that it was slightly implied to a degree. No, I don't feel there was any implication at all of it. I think it was simply, we are going to take you away. I loved even the even the discussion between the two of them where they go, just remember, we always knew you were the princess. We just had to let you win this game of Knucklebone over and over again because you were a princess and you had a crown on your head. Um, it was almost just like the Disney villain story. There's no need that they... I'm so glad they didn't even have any kind of intimation in this episode. It would have been so explicit in any other show dealing with this genre. Then my brain just filled in blanks to assume that when they were all grabbing her. And I think that's where my brain leapt to. But I think it was to put it, put her on the horse and, and to tie yeah. her up to take her oh, to, to sell back. her to the Nilfgaards because he, yeah. he, he actually says there's a, a, a king's ransom or yeah, exactly for you. Wow, okay, okay. See how often it's used as a trope, Chris? Yeah, really, <laughs> wow. I think as well, as a nice segue into our final episode eight, you know, in episode seven, we do see uh, Siri going very dark and stormy oh, and, yes. and uh, you know, sort of testing the vocal cords out <laughs> for, for the old scream. And I think going into episode eight, uh, entitled Much More, I, I love seeing the aftermath of that oh, um, yes. Yes. certainly the the overhead panning shot where unfortunately the horse has also been caught in this crossfire mm. as she tries to save herself from being taken to the Nilf Guardians. I love that like, um, black epicenter in the centre. Yeah. All the grass all around is all uh, cleared out in a circle as well. I think that's really cool. Absolutely and, and the, the woman carrying Siri away from that epicenter. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, unfortunately, uh, White Beauty got caught in that screamy crossfire. Yeah. Was it clip um, or was it clap? I don't think we ever found out. Uh, yeah. Well, it's now 
um, nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's now a fillet of horse and some glue, probably. Nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> right, let's get on to our final episode for the first season of The Witcher. Uh, episode eight, as you mentioned, John, is called Much More, directed again by Mark Jobst. This one, of course as we always say on a good show, was written by the showrunner Lauren Schmidt. Uh, she's written loads of episodes of TV, as we talked about before, including West Wing, Justice, uh, written and produced shows like Daredevil, um, and was co-executive producer on Private Practice and on The Umbrella Academy. Also heavily involved in the TV show The Defenders, where we got our original podcast name of The Defenders TV Podcast. So uh, lots of credit to Lauren Schmidt for all, all of her work that we've talked about over the years. Yes. And it just keeps getting better. Exactly. Much like ours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and of course, her show really work on Witcher is, uh, is fundamental to the show. So, uh, John, do you want to tell us what the summary for this episode is? Sure. A terrifying pack of foes lays Geralt low. Yennefer and her fellow mages prepare to fight back. And a shaken Ciri depends on the kindness of a stranger. In order to figure out exactly where we are on this, uh, John, do you want to give us your first point? Because I think that kind of leads in with the summary as well. Absolutely, because once again, Chris, you took um, the entire episode, <laughs> the episode. As, as a point. <laughs> That's all right. This was your show, so it's okay. <laughs> but um, for me, I um, have Geralt and the ghouls. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this interaction. Uh, in fact, again, on starting the game up, one of our first few battles were with ghouls. Uh, easy enough to kill, but I think what I liked here was that, you know, Geralt does have a problem tackling them. He, he gets kind of, um, you know, he gets overwhelmed by them. He loses his sword. He saves the, um, the, 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 the funeral guy, the guy, the, the guy who is loading up the bodies to mm-hmm. take them away, who he does feel is a, a grave robber. I love the ill winds follow a grave, uh, robber. I, I liked the little, sound of the fly sort of heralding these ghouls coming mm. under uh from the ground almost like jaws but uh in, in the soil <laughs> uh, as as you follow them um and i just the horror element um i think is really good I, i've really enjoyed where um he's been tackling monsters of different types in this world and you really get that dark kind of feeling and i think having the campsite from the second I think the second episode uh, where we see Siri in yeah. there as it's being attacked by the Nilf Guardians, yeah. it's a nice little nod back in terms of that continuity, in terms of these uh, timey, uh, wimey uh, elements to to the show. Yeah, um, I, I do because the attack only would have taken a place oh, like a week before. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he, the 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 guy who's collecting the bodies does say they're about a week old, mm-hmm. um, and I. I, I do like the fact then that this fight with, with the ghouls, uh, where he kind of gets overrun, he's having to punch, use his hand, but ultimately he does get bitten. Geralt gets bitten. Uh, luckily not in the ghoulies, um, <laughs> but, uh, on, on the side of the leg. And ultimately this kind of leads then to him sort of hallucinating, uh, in the back of the cart of this, um, th- th- this guy who is trying to, you know, prevent disease or whatever it is and collect the body. Uh, so I, I just like that. I thought it was a, a, a good opening. I, I think um, a nice bit of uh, horror motif going in and certainly sort of with the rest of this episode with the big battle, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought it was that moment where, uh, it, you know, it just it kicked off this episode in, in a nice way. I I, I 
loved this. I, I loved the ghouls. I I was happy with how they portrayed yeah, them. Definitely. It could have looked terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm being brutally honest. It could have gone as bad as like brain dead Peter Jackson, <laughs> where it became or sorry, I should say as good as yes. because it it leans so far into the stupid that it becomes great. Um in, in but brain they actually dead, yeah. kept th- that horror horror aspect and it wasn't it wasn't overly crazy cgi uh, was but it was cavill's presence and his like sword swings looked like they were connecting with things yeah absolutely and i think this is one of the things that's always difficult in these types of shows you know effectively ghouls are just zombies yeah they're very similar um so every time you have to design that for a game every time you have to design that for a movie or a tv show you have to make a decision as to how you're going to do it that's different from how somebody's done it in the past and i think they've landed on a really good design choice for these ghouls in this show so they feel like something different and as you say john the horror of a hand coming out of the ground is always fun uh if you're a horror fan it's always fun having that moment and having these uh ghouls overwhelm your massive character who's easily able to dispatch one of them but when there's a lot of them coming at him i really like the the idea that he he's not able to overcome the overwhelming nature of a bunch of ghouls attacking at the same time it's nice to you know it puts him in peril it's nice to see that you know some things can be just uh a step too far and you know in and of themselves a a single ghoul or a couple of ghouls you know he, he deals with them absolutely fine i love the one where he sees the soil turning, moving towards him, and he just sort of kneels down with the sword to to take out the ghoul before it even gets out of the ground. Yeah. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Um, but ultimately, you know, Geralt does get a leg hickey, effectively, <laughs> uh, from one of uh, the ghouls, and, and this leads to us, us getting some, you know, more intimate moments uh, about his past in, in this um it whilst he's hallucinating mm. in in the back of the 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 cart yeah absolutely and that was kind of my big moment from the episode was these flashbacks to Geralt and his past you know we've heard a lot of him talking about his training in in becoming a witcher and what they did to him and him turning into a mutant that kind of stuff but we finally get a little bit of flashback to Geralt and his ma ma <laughs> where he's a young kid being fed by his mother and being taken care of his mother and then all of a sudden he's just dropped off on a road and she goes off on him. Uh, she, he's dropped off to go and get some water. When he arrives back, his mother is gone. Um, I really like these scenes because effectively this is just Geralt playing things, some memories back out in his head and having conversations with a character that isn't really there. Um, you know, he, we see him getting cured and we see an interaction between Geralt and his mother. But she's not really there. This is all playing out in Geralt's head. So I really do like that interaction between the two. I also like the destiny element of it. We hear that echoing from the past saying people that have a similar destiny will eventually meet up. And this is where Geralt finally does meet up with Ciri. It is destiny that brings him to the place to cure him. And that's where Ciri is waiting for him. Or that's where Ciri is very closely in the same proximity. And she instantly knows who he is and where he is. So if he hadn't been bitten by the ghouls, if he hadn't gone that way, if he hadn't fought the ghouls, he would not have ended off in this moment meeting Siri, which I just think is a really good way to play it in this final episode. So do we think Visenna wasn't there? She definitely wasn't there, no. No, I think the reason why you know is when he wakes back up, he he says to the gravedigger, 
where's the woman? Where's the woman gone? And he goes, what woman? You just kept calling out for women over and over again yeah, while you yeah, were yeah. while you were in, in the fever, you know? Um, so I love the interaction between the two of them, but I like the idea that she wasn't there at all. Uh, unless she magically appeared only to him and saw, and, and, and put salve on his wounds, you know, unless... Well, that, that was... I, I took it as she appeared. It was her destiny to appear, save him. Because he didn't know who she was at the beginning, mm. and then he figured out. Then she wiped Jurgen's memory. Oh, maybe. The, the, like that's the way I took it, right? Because it took a bit of time. I don't know. I, I just, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, but we get some cool information, like Gerald's the son of a sorceress. Yeah, yeah. Like I, we did. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. We didn't know that. So that's true. Yeah, it's interesting to see how, and like how it was all put together. Mm-hmm. That, like, why he's attracted to sorcerers is because he's got a mother complex. <laughs> Oedipus. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I wonder if that's the reason why he was able to be one of the people that survived through the Witcher training is because he has some magic in his past from his mother, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, he references the fact that only three in ten boys survive the trials to become a Witcher. So that's why they're so strong and powerful is because they've weeded out anybody that could have failed those challenges. And it sounds like failing the challenge probably doesn't mean you get to go home uh, afterwards. No, I don't think there's no. an exit strategy if you fail the Witcher tasks and challenges. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think as well, the great thing about Siri and, and Geralt's meetup is just her sort of question as well, uh, right at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, who's Yennefer? And you, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a great moment because, you know, it dispenses with, oh, I found you, you know, and going back into the lore of surprise and, and all this kind of stuff. Are you safe? You know, all this kind of thing. It's just, you, you see the, the look on Geralt's face as she's like, who's, who's Yennefer? Yeah. And, um, and certainly given what's just happened in the Battle of Sodden Hill, then, yeah. um, it's a great way just to close out, um, the series. It, it's, it's really nicely done, yeah. I thought. And it's referencing the fact that she's been hearing this voice from Geralt talking about her name. That's the connection that they have between the two of them is that she keeps hearing him say the name of Yennefer. And this is the character that's oldest in the series. If we go back to that timeline again, Yennefer's been around for 50 years in this series and has had all of these amazing things happen to her, yet Siri has absolutely no idea who this character is. So uh, I love that that meeting of two main characters and the third one, one of them doesn't even know, which I think is, is a lovely, interesting touch. Uh, Chris, go on, bring us on to the big part of the episode, your final big moment from episode eight. For me, it was just the Battle of Sodden Hill. Mm-hmm. This oh, is the definitely. one thing that- we lacked in uh, we talk about game of thrones it's the ma- if you bring magic into war into warfare mm. that's why i was like oh this is cool now this is an army of uh well it was 22 sorcerers yes. going against an army a battalion and what would they do um so it it's so interesting to see how they how they use their powers uh-huh. the, in, yeah or how they use their sorcery in a good way Let's say the 22, so without killing themselves and how they use it to protect mm-hmm. while still attacking towards the end. And then the Nuff Guardians using sorcery to become evil to, to, to using so much chaos that they die. Yes. Um, which is so interesting. Um, so we see the first two fireballs fired at Sodden Hill, uh, by the Nuff Guardians are actually two sorcerers. Yes. 
Exactly, yeah. yeah. They, they, they've used all of their power up, and I love that they just drop to the ground. Uh, I also must say I love uh, the first bomb coming towards them and Yennefer being able to just tur- divert it off course and it explodes, and then you have evil now, Fringilla, going, okay, next mage, up and do your thing. And you see, yeah, the, mage's, exactly. you see the mage's face going... I know that that kills me, and yeah, I really exactly. want to do this. <laughs> and, and the other thing as well, the guy who was creating the 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 clouds and the mist mm. and the fog to hide their approach, as he walks into the gate, he is also being spent, and he falls his his cape falls to the the ground yeah. uh, along with the 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 box of 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 evil black worms that are about to uh, sort of go and do their thing. So. It's almost like this dark magic from episode seven has more of a cost to it than than the the magic uh, preached by Aratusa um, in the Citadel of the Ghouls and, and the teachings. Although we also see Fringilla using um, elements of dark potion, and I, I love where she opens up kind of the the tornado thing on the ground for the archers to to, to fire in, and oh God, yeah. and opens up the other one. Um, in the elfin fort at Sodden Hill, um, so that you know they get a few of the mages. So cool, uh, really good. But she's not being affected in that way. Um, but maybe it's just over. It depends on the type of spell and how long you do it, because um, obviously the fireballs seem to be fairly powerful in what they need to do, mm-hmm. and the guy who's walking with the soldiers that the mage who is having to create this fog um, is having to do it for a quite a long time. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, in this moment, they've taken out three of their mages just purely to do their uh, attack. Yeah. Um, it's huge props to the writer's room here, isn't it? Because they, they set up the concept all the way from the beginning of the show that every piece of magic has a cost. And, you know, obviously there are some things that you do that don't have as much of a cost. You know, if you're not doing something massively powerful, it won't kill you effectively. But I love the idea that when they get here in a massive battle, they still adhere to those rules that they've set up. So you can only use one powerful piece of magic as the army is attacking. So hold your stance until the very last moment, use it then, and then you can take down as many soldiers as you can. But that's it. You've then used your piece of magic or else you will die. And they have to fall back over and over again because they've used that bit of magic. It's not like they have a pile uh, of these weapons available. There's only 22 of them. So they need to make sure they protect the people that are in there and they use their one bit of magic and then fall back or they will die. I think that's a really cool little uh, rule that they've placed on themselves for the fight. I think the other great thing about this this battle um, is that, you know, it's quite intimate, actually, you know, because it's in forests and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's kind of a mage on a sort of a, a battalion of the Nilfgaard soldiers. But I love the establishing um, shot of this sodden hill oh, area and, and the elven fort with the bridge. Like, it's just oh, spectacular. Yeah. And then when they're testing the defenses um again you have it pulled back and you see yennefer chucking that fireball away and there's a few moments where it just uh pans back of course right at the end as well uh when yennefer does her thing um which it's just really good because it, it keeps connecting you into those intimate moments in the forest where yeah. you know like you having fringilla and tasia uh sort of meet up 
Um, you have uh, Vilger Forts and Cahirs meeting up as well. So I, but I, I love some of those wide shots of the whole battlefield. It yeah. just is, um, it's just so sort of epic looking. So really good. good. And that's, I, I think that's the exact word, epic. So in a lot of these shows, like, or even in the beginning of this season, we see that massive battle. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not on the same scale as this because it's not just hundreds of thousands of people. It's the same with the Battle of the Bastards in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like, where it was the, 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 the epicness was the scale yeah. of the battle that we were seeing. This isn't the same scale. It's, because it's just a company versus 22 and a couple of refugees, 22 sorcerers uh, and a couple of refugees. Yes. Um, but what's epic is the, the use of battle magic mm-hmm. or magic in battle. Uh, and then the, the being able to see it on the, as you say, like the pan out views where we see like the fire being shot out in a wave across the 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 woods in like literally a cone outwards. I love I love it and I love the touch of just her keeping the people that were important to her alive as that fire yes. rolls over and around everybody else. That was awesome. I just think it's such a beautifully shot scene and a beautifully put together idea. And again, I think these writers have such a great grasp of the rules that they've given themselves to play with. You know, um, the idea that they come back afterwards and Yennefer is nowhere to be found. The magic that she must have conjured to do this thing, protecting everybody else, remember, not seeking power anymore, now on the side of what she believes is right, along with all the other mages, no longer working alone, working with the people that she formerly criticized constantly throughout the series for turning her into what she became. She has now taken up the good side, the light side almost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Um, and, and that's it. It's like... Um that moment where to see her, um, she just says, forget the bottle, let the chaos, let your chaos explode, release everything that you felt and buried. And mm. as she's conjuring that spell, you've just got these lines of dialogue from throughout the, the series, um, informing her to sort of release the chaos that's uh, inside yeah. of her foot with this fireball. And again, another one of those great, panning shots where it's kind of from Kahir's point of view where effectively he's seeing his army decimated just as is it King Falstaff yep. from episode what three or four yep. uh, where he comes over the ridge um you know very Lord of the Rings uh, with the Rohirrim coming uh, in in uh, the return of the king yeah. Uh, just in, in, in time as such. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see. <laughs> they could have probably used them about an hour beforehand. <laughs> well, they could have, absolutely. Um, but, uh, it, I, I just thought it was really, uh, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, really epic, definitely. Is Viljafort now evil? So that's the very quickly what I wanted to kind of discuss, yeah. which is that we get this introduction of these evil worms, earworms, mm-hmm. um, that take over. And make you battle for essentially um, the the Nilfgaardian forces. I actually have it written in my notes that this is a worse earworm than Tossacoin. <laughs> oh, 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 well done. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give you that one. I don't like it, but I'm gonna give you that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting to see this because this could explain why Fringilla is the way she is. 
So these magical earworms mm. that we are literally introduced to in the beginning of the, or in mid this episode, yeah. there's no other explanation other than you do what they tell you. Yeah. So potentially this could be a, this is a, a bit of a, a gopher for season two. Do you think so? Cause I, I, I don't know. I, let's, let's talk this bit out as we go. So the earworms that we're talking about, the little black worms that are sent in, to um into the castle uh, of Sodden Hill. Um they take over three people. They take over Sabrina, who we saw from episode one was another mage working with uh Yennefer. Uh, she walks up and tries to kill Yennefer, but then falls off the side of the building with with Yennefer and the worm falls out of her ear and she apologizes effectively. The two kids then drop bombs and they effectively are turned into suicide bombers, but they're very blank uh, the whole time. They have no expression on their face the whole time they just carry out the mission um i would be surprised if they said the earworms were what what were controlling fringilla and what's controlling Force as well i feel like there's been a bigger change here i think fringilla has gone to their side because they allow her to do what she wants to and she is now ultimately very powerful something that yennefer was craving her entire uh this entire season and I think what may have happened to Village Four, I don't know at all because we don't get much on screen. What may have happened is he has the ability to regenerate. So I think he may have regenerated bad uh, effectively. He constantly regenerates those swords over and over again. We think he's dead. Yeah. And then we see him at the ep- at the end of the episode staring effectively off into camera looking quite evil after killing one of the members of the of the army who asked to, sa- asked to be saved. So, Or was that how he saved them putting, you know, maybe... The, putting him the, out of his misery yeah exactly Maybe. too far yeah. gone yeah. i loved uh Vilgefor's perpetual sword awesome. um although i was i presume again it was just the cost of that magic of, of regenerating uh the sword um well, meant... you know you know in a video game when you've got like you've got eight attempts um, well that's you know, true and it goes that... down to seven and yeah, six yeah. it's like ah damn it i've used all eight attempts like there's no longer a sword absolutely you've got to go and find more oh no <laughs> Exactly. So maybe Vilgefall will just walk those forests trying to find uh, new materials so he can craft a, 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 a new sword. Um, and that will be his story in season two. Exactly, exactly. Um, but gentlemen, that does bring us to the end of season one of The Witcher. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Can I just also say one last yep. thing? Oh, ask the question, actually. What was your favorite magic attack from the mages? I love the one from Triss, uh, who put her hands on the ground and you have these mushrooms. It actually reminded me a bit of, um, Prometheus, alien Prometheus, mm-hmm. with, where they step on them just doing the puff of clouds. Very and I was like, yeah, yeah. you should have just put mushrooms all the way through this forest. What mm-hmm. are you doing? I um, remember I thought that was really nice. So she can only put the mushrooms at far at a certain point. Well, that's true. I know. Amount. I know that. Um, yeah, there's definitely some really, really good ones. Chris, what's, what's one that stood out to you in the episode? The homing arrows. Sorry, the, the arrows. It's not even magic. It was just that the, the, they're grenades. That they turned into, so it was the jars. Yeah, the blue, the blue jars. Sulfur, yeah, uh, that then they the mages were firing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were fired. My mage. So the boys were catapulting or slingshotting yes. these things over, mm-hmm. and then the mages were basically shooting arrows. And I was like, "What's going?" So they must be like homing arrows or yeah, something. It was, it was very cool. It was just, it, it looked, it looked interesting because you saw at a distance then when they panned back to Fragilla and all them, you could still see those, those little grenades going off yes. and they looked just 
spectacular. It's only when the two boys kind of took out their resources of all the bombs when they did their suicide bomber kind of moment that they lost all the resources to do that. But yeah, that's a, that's a really cool one as well. Um, yeah, I really liked the magic that was in the episode. I think I probably agree with you, John. I liked the, uh, the mushrooms growing and then everybody puking on the floor. Yeah, no, that was pretty taken cool. Out. That was and cool. I think the Fringilla and Tessia moment where they meet and she... Oh, yeah. I thought Tessia actually was gone. I thought yeah. she was dead, but she seemed to have recovered. Yeah. Um, and at least was still alive at the end of, of the season, which I think is really good because I, I like her and Yennefer's, uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ups and the downs of it all, I think, have been really, really good. Absolutely. But- Literally closing out the episode, we find that Cahir and Frangilla are both alive on the other side. Uh, Village of Force, we don't know where he stands, uh, on, on whether he's good or bad now. And, uh, we have to say, uh, still alive uh tris still alive i think she got stabbed at the gate with a, a stick that was on fire and she was holding uh, that injury uh, at the end of the episode tris i believe is quite a big character in the books and maybe even the games as well but in this season the only time we've really seen her was she's the mage that worked with Geralt, um trying to serve king faltest uh who had the daughter who was the stria yes there we go i got that yeah. out <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, like you're using all the words today. <laughs> I certainly am. I certainly am. But but she's still alive. So there are some members of, the, of that 22 mages that are still alive uh, at the end of this fight. So uh, Yennefer did save uh, a few people, at least. Um, unfortunately, some of the other mages get some really bad, terrible things happening to them. Yeah, I think especially the mage that loses her arms um, and it seems to be singled out by the Nilfgaardians for excessively uh, violent treatment um, as well because she's pinned to uh, a tree just outside of the gates of the Elven Fort. I think that's it. She she was kind of the last line of defense before they got in to, uh, to the castle. So that's why she gets the real wrath from all of them because she's still snapping necks as she's going uh yeah really brutal end to, to that to that mage um, that's it for all of the episodes of uh, of the witcher wow only eight episodes in the season and we've covered them all over the course of the last two podcasts we have one more thing to do really what did you think of the last four episodes of the witcher will we go with uh chris first yeah um i i'm happy uh looking back at it now i don't 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 kill me boys I could have done with a few more episodes. <laughs> Honestly, no, I'm Chris. like, uh, I, I think literally two more episodes. Uh, Chris. Because it took so long to get, I, I know, this is, usually we compare, <laughs> usually I can play it and go, uh, yeah, they could have shortened it down a bit, like, you know. I'm glad you changed um, the Wii to I there, Chris. Yes, yeah, uh, exactly. for anybody who's only joining us for The Witcher or just joining us in 2020, Chris is the one that is most likely to tell us that uh, they could cut a couple of episodes from a season of a show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Adding yes, episodes yeah, is my going, favorite. <laughs> uh, this is filler. Uh-huh. I could have done with one more episode or maybe two more episodes where like it's post going forward because I feel, I feel this ep, like, and it's exactly what it was meant to. Season one was the coming together of destiny, mm-hmm. putting all the pieces in place, but it, it, it feels like they just got going. They just got to the point at the end now uh-huh. where I'm like, Oh my God, we got here and this is what's going to happen. Uh, and then it's like, we'll see you in 2021. Yeah, Q season two. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. I know. You'll be salivating for the next sort of year and a bit, Chris. You'll be kind of like drooling in mm. anticipation. Well, exactly. So literally the end credit title now says, don't worry. 
Witcher will be will be is is coming back for season two. It's Netflix said that to uh-huh. me on on the TV, oh, right, okay. and I'm like, <laughs> well done. Okay, you know I want more. Absolutely. And then it tried to get me to watch Lost in Space season two, and I'm like, no, I'm okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll go back to that. I'm literally what I really need to. But uh, okay, uh, that's um, that's a really interesting choice from The Witcher to Lost in Space. That's uh, yeah. yeah. It was like going from an adult eight like uh, like uh. uh rated r well not rated r but it was at least a rated 16s mm-hmm. kind of tv show with with nudity swearing violence to a family a family show of the about the robins and, and the, the vastness of outer space as well you know it's a, a very very different show um Overall, yeah, I'm really happy with what we got in The Witcher. Um, I, again, didn't know the source material beforehand. What I laughed at when we opened up The Witcher, John's already mentioned a lot of the game, but I did want to say one thing when we opened up Witcher 3. The starting of it is Geralt training Siri as a Witcher, and he's pining for Yennefer. So within the first, like, 10 seconds of this game that we're playing, the three main characters are mentioned instantly, and we're going, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's not that much of a mystery what happens in the TV show. <laughs> so probably shouldn't have played the game uh, before watching the no, last couple absolutely. episodes of the show. But you knew that was going to happen. You knew Geralt was eventually going to get to series. So that's not a major spoiler, is it? Um, overall, no. I really like the world that they created in the show. I think uh, watching it the way we did was the best way to watch it. I'm glad we didn't uh, record a, a podcast after each episode of the show, as I said, after yeah, the first four. Yeah. I think that works yeah. even better in the second half. Because episode six, the one where they go after the dragon, really did feel like mission of the week type thing. And it does feel like what you traditionally call filler, Chris, you know. Um, I liked it because it kind of, it was a proof of concept for me. If this show had gone 22 episodes, you would certainly get loads more of those episodes where he goes out into the world to find mysterious creatures and maybe work work with them or maybe capture them or maybe kill them kind of thing. That would be the way they, the show would go if they wanted to expand it to 22 yeah. episodes. It would be the monster slay of the week. Of the week it would exactly. be like, oh, Geralt's slaying that monster. <laughs> like, Oh, you slay. Like 15 <laughs> seasons of Supernatural hosted by RuPaul. Is that basically yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly when Yennefer gave him his tight leather sort of chaps. Oh, she sized like, him up well. She certainly did. <laughs> and Henry Cavill once again in a bath with his top off mm-hmm. maybe if the doppler turned up it came, <laughs> came up out of the put out of the water hi girl so we're, we're we're now into uh john's fantasy uh-huh. thing here oh well that yeah okay i i must i must pen this down somewhere uh-huh. but in terms of my rating um do you know i really really enjoyed uh this i as i say i came in uh not knowing anything about the computer game not knowing anything about the books um, and I've really enjoyed getting into this world. Yes, it was a little confusing for the first four episodes until the timelines got sorted out. But then I'm like going, that's just really nicely done. I'm really glad that they took that this interesting approach to it. I think Henry Cavill has been great with as Geralt of Rivia. And, um, you know, Yennefer, a fascinating character mm-hmm. and, and sort of the trappings or the pursuit of power. Siri, I feel um, probably this just wasn't her season. Um, <laughs> But I certainly, you know, the the dark, screamy Siri at the end of episode seven, uh, and and that final, who is Yennefer? What a great ending! Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everyone around it, you know, from Fringilla to Tasia, um, Stregobor, um, have all been kind of fascinating. Have brought something to the table, the which I've really enjoyed. Yet yeah, the lioness and, and her husband, um just and their interaction uh, have been really uh, really good and and I to be honest 
Who says I'm not a commercial person? Because on the back of this, you know, we've gotten the game, mm-hmm. probably get the books, um, <laughs> probably get the T-shirt. So, um, yeah, here we go. Uh, definitely in with The Witcher. Game of Thrones Red 2. Yeah. Really enjoying it. Uh, and that's why I would give it four evil gin and tonics out of five. <laughs> gin spelled to DJ. Yes, okay. exactly. Very good, job. Very good. One thing I did notice in the series, which I thought was quite interesting, show called The Witcher, and we had three massive battles in the show. We had the battle in the first episode, one army going up against another army. We had the battle in Sintra, uh, where the entire time the Witcher is behind bars, effectively, right until the end. And then we have this massive magic battle uh, up on Sodden Hill in the final yeah, episode. Great. Isn't it fascinating that throughout the show, the Witcher is not actually part of any of those three massive battles for control of this world. You would just assume that he would have been used by one side or the other to protect uh, themselves or to fight with them. But in a show called The Witcher, he doesn't play a part in any of those three battles. I think that's a brilliant choice, isn't it? I think so. I also think it kind of connects in with uh, the the husband and wife who have saved Siri. This idea that, you know, war is going on in this world, but it doesn't affect everyone. Yeah. Um, it, it's being played out in, in the background. And, okay, it affects maybe Geralt a little bit more in terms of who he knows, like Yennefer and so on. But um, it, it is that interesting... Uh, point of view from that couple who have saved Siri, where they said, "Oh yeah, it's happening over there," but they're not, they're not interested in us. They're not coming this way. They're going north. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was kind of uh, a good thing. I, I, I exactly. So I, I I like the idea that this is not. Well, well, he is involved in these big stories. He's not the one. It's not like it's not like Gerald versus the Nilfgaardian army. Exactly, and I like because you could easily do that. They could have made him like literally he was the savior of Sintra, yeah. um, because he took down the. Because no, he's still a man. He's just a really swole, like uh, mutated man. He can take on kind of. He can take on ghouls. He can take on. Um, like griffins and things like that mm-hmm. uh but he needs to be powered up but it's still going to take him down because he killed however many ghouls and neckers or ghouls in this case but they still bit him so yeah yeah, yeah exactly exactly so but I, but I just kind of like that perspective and I love you know the characters that are in this show and the perspective they're taking on the normal fantasy genre I think has been a really refreshing take on it I kind of said it last episode, I've read so many fantasy books over the years, fantasy series mostly, and it's so fascinating to think we haven't ever had a lot of it ever on screen before. It's very rare you get a fantasy show that goes on for a long time that has magic and has um, battles with demons and that kind of stuff. It's usually only in games and books that they work. They generally don't work on TV and movies. Game of Thrones was an, a very much an exception uh, to that rule, and mostly because it focused on the the battle between people for the Iron Throne as opposed to the magic and as opposed to the other stuff that was going on within that time. So finally seeing something like this brought to life on screen, I think it's really cool. Regardless of whether you've read these particular books or not, it does have a really good element of fantasy with it that bring it brought to life on the show. Really enjoy it. Yeah, good stuff. Let's, um, with that, get on to our feedback that we've received from uh, Bob Phillips yes. for the remaining four episodes. Absolutely. Uh, for episode five, he does announce that um, 
This has been watched with a much less grumpy eye, with a view to Yennefer as as bored, pointless, powerful, but neutered by her rejection of the politics of her world. I, I loved the development of her village uh, as a massive sex party. Yes, the <laughs> the orgy of episode five, the violent governor uh, as a sub with a tasteful plate of apples was a delight. Says Bob, uh, the rejection of witches offered to save her and anger that he did so anyway. I think this will be important later in the episodes, plus more bathing and frolicking. <laughs> um, the doppelganger, Bob continues, uh, using we was also delicious. This taking the fluid trope and allowing to develop with a more modern understanding of language is great. Still not convinced the series story at the Elven Forest is going anywhere, but at least they are trying to make it a little more interesting with some spots of peril and the choices that need to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, the the doppelganger's we was a, a nice uh, little touch there. Uh, this idea that he is somehow a collective yeah. uh, in in himself with all this absorbing of uh, good looks, chiselled uh, buttocks, and <laughs> uh, of course the all the information of Mausak. But I like even the concept that everybody that he's absorbed in the past, he's got all of their memories and all of their consciousness and all together. So he calls himself we. I love I love that idea that yeah. we are not just one, we are many kind of thing. A really cool idea. Makes it even scarier. Yes. Uh Bob went on for his feedback on episode six to say Dragon Quest <laughs> This episode feels almost completely unrelated to whatever the main theme of the series is, but absolutely watchable and full of the uh, all the elements we've enjoyed. The monster killer who saves dragons and feeds angry panther head bipeds. <laughs> the shockingly beautiful sorceress who uses all of her strengths and works with and against the expectations of the world. The dwarves being successful by sharing knowledge unique to their differences mm -hmm. and the bard again being sidelined in <laughs> where the story did advance i felt like it was teasing again the ideas of predestination and destiny i like that we are seeing more of the winged helmet body and still don't understand the importance of siri yeah um i think we literally just talked about it, that this could have been a a monster of the week bit but it actually just did enough to move the story slightly enough ahead mm -hmm. um but it it was used for to deepen the 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 Geralt and Yennefer story yeah. absolutely and and yeah changed i suppose the perspective of Yennefer as being someone that will do absolutely anything to have a child regardless of the consequences to anybody else we finally see a moment of her realizing actually maybe we can't say regardless of everybody else maybe there are some people that i need to put above myself and that's the revelation we get at the end is that she has now turned back into someone that will put others above herself that she's not the only thing that matters in the world i suppose at episode seven uh dr bob says well this was heavy on politics wasn't it making it abundantly clear to us that the invading armies see themselves as in the right but with their own version of what is acceptable and the use of slavery and slaughter to enforce it good to see archaeologists being highlighted as amoral opportunists who are more than willing <laughs> to use indentured labor and disregard for the country's own treasures as long as it produces results what is Siri though? Is she a goddess, an elven mage, a devil, or incarnation of chaos, or just a slightly annoying princess? <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. There you go. Uh, I love the archaeologist reference. <laughs> yes. Istrid being, um, 
yes, a little dubious here. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I loved about that whole um, sort of archaeological site was when you look at the extras on it and it's like, they're just kind of tapping the earth and doing <laughs> yeah. random stuff. It's like, is there any meaningful mining or archaeology going on here? It's just like some guy sort of shoveling the side of a slope for yeah. absolutely no reason. <laughs> you get this um, brush and rub away the dust up <laughs> yeah, there for half it's an just, hour. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> um, I, I just thought that was really funny. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Bob. And Bob on episode eight goes, so what's going to happen next? We... I think saw the near total destruction of all the mages and the unleashing of a firestorm to rival a flock of dragons. Mm-hmm. The resurrection of Rectorus. I was pretty certain she had been asphyxiated. Yes. And a mystical light flame that I still don't understand. Me neither, Bob. Uh, me neither. <laughs> I'm still wondering what this white flame uh, refers to. But drawing together the forces of the exceptionally white empire, the battered magicians, and an errant father figure and his previously rejected gift daughter finally meeting in the woods, and I still don't get what Siri is. <laughs> um, very glad to have announced season two, as this felt like the first half of something with a lot of story still to go. My other question, which I think I should be able to work out but can't, is why Magical Sword Boy seems to have turned into evil Mr. Mace. <laughs> it's because he used the mace to crush the, uh, the guy's head. Very good, Bob. <laughs> yes, we don't know whether he's evil or whether he was just putting that kid out of his misery. Uh, but yeah, I like, I like your description of Viljaforce as Magic Sword Boy. <laughs> um, I will jump in very quickly. The, the white flame, the white flame is refers to oh, sorry i should have said this earlier and this is me with knowledge uh the white flame refers to emperor um emphir who is the emperor of Nuf- Nil- nilfgaard right this is the right um, rightful heir of nilfgaard that's taken his throne yes he is the he is the the king the emperor but it, nilfgaardians it's almost like a cult so they it's like they they see him as the one true heir the the he is the white flame he is like it's cult like like they they'll kill themselves for him okay yeah well that okay that that makes sense for sure um i i thought it was to do with a almost like a a a deity or some kind of magical reference uh rather well they 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 see him as a deity like it's that cult like he is the he is the leader of the 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 world okay rightful heir of the world Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because I think, uh, as well, I, I thought it may have related to something like Siri, a bit like what Bob's saying that, you know, what is Siri? Just, just because it's only really the sort of banshee side of it that we've really seen. And, and then that kind of, that, that moment where she flings everyone, uh, onto sort of trees and kills them when mm-hmm. she's protecting herself. That, that's kind of the only real notion. Um, it's a shame she's lost Dara as well because I thought he helped bring her story out a little bit more yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but now that she's met up with, with Geralt, I, I kind of thought because of her very white blonde hair that this was, um, 
something or to, to reference the white flame uh, in some respect perhaps yeah um, just kind of connects in with the final piece of feedback that bob has and and something that we didn't talk about throughout the series actually but became our cover uh, for each of our episodes for this uh, for the series uh, the titles for each episode each episode has has its own kind of logo effectively for a group or uh, or for the story itself and in the final episode uh, as bob mentions titles so they change each time with a different amulet but in episode eight, the wolf and a flame and a strange house, Martin, merge together to make the white wolf symbol. Um, just to, just to kind of have a quick chat about that, I suppose. Um, so the symbol of, uh, of Geralt or of the Witcher as a show itself is a wolf with a, a surrounding flame effectively and a bird. Chris, any insight as to what this could be? It's, yes, it refers to, uh, people coming together. It's probably going to be explained more in season two. Um, but, if we think that Geralt is the White Wolf, mm, yes, um, they're, they're, and his destiny is entwined with a certain person's, um, I will say that in the game, that the symbol for Siri is a swallow. Very good. Yep. Okay. Um, so that is the, what that house Martin is. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a swallow. Uh-huh. Um, so it's uh, that this is that coming together of these two, the the wolf and. The, the the swallow interesting and there's a third symbol in the uh in the symbol as well looks like a sun or looks like the white flame maybe so yeah and that's yennefer uh, that would be what i think <laughs> yes. is that the fire of yennefer yes or oh, it does look like the Nilfgaardian symbol weirdly on, mm-hmm. on an angle when mm-hmm. you look at it that the crop oh, yeah. the cross with then the other diagonal points uh, as well interesting interesting but it also looks like it could be a burst of flame absolutely yeah. so yeah okay interesting interesting excellent and as always thanks so much bob for your feedback for absolutely the thank you and thanks so much to all of our fellow witchers who've been watching the episodes uh through the last week really for uh, eight episodes not everybody was able to catch up in this short period of time we gave everybody to uh to catch up with the episodes but thanks so much for listening along with us as we've mentioned before we're going to be coming back with star trek picard beginning next week the 23rd of january in the u.s 24th of january in the uk and around the world on amazon prime uh, check it out Send us your feedback and send us your thoughts about those episodes. Uh, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries if you wanted to share any of your thoughts. You can also pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. Leave any of your thoughts there, up to 90 seconds of your thoughts, record them there, send them on to us. Or if you want to record it on any voice recorder and email us at the email address. Uh, we'd love to hear from everyone about Star Trek Picard as we'll be covering every episode of that show each week from now on. I think our feedback section for Star Trek Picard should be called Engage. Maybe, maybe. I was just, <laughs> I was just going to rely on the old traditional uh, communicator section. Yeah, maybe. As our producer, you have to get those the cheesy sounds <laughs> from the original, the 60s one, not even Next Generation, just the, the, the one where he like, opens up the communicator. I know you haven't actually listened to our latest podcast, Chris, but if you listen to the opening second of it, you may find, be quite surprised and quite happy with what I've done. <laughs> It's almost like you. we have the same brain. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yes. Almost. Thanks so much for joining us once again, fellow witchers and my fellow podcasters. Uh, really good to have a chat about uh, about eight episodes of this show. I was going in completely um, not expecting to enjoy it as much as I have. It's been great fun. I'm really looking forward to season two as well. Yeah, me too. Excellent. I'm always happy when my my machinations and my ideas come well together. <laughs> 
<laughs> we might let you choose something else in the future, Chris. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, fellow podcasters, fellow listeners, and we'll be back later this week with Picard. It's going to be good. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, fellow witches, uh, for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. And remember, keep watching, keep listening, and engage. Keep witching. I like it. Indeed. <laughs> Bye. I think Henry Cavill has been great with being the Witcher, being Geralt uh, of Riviera. Um, Riviera? Of the, of, of the Riviera. Of the Riviera. <laughs> 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 with his top off walking down the beach. Um, 